Welcome to Arcade Attack. A retro gaming podcast for up to four players. guys, Adrian here from Arcade Attack, and on today's show I talk to Matthew Costello. Now he is the creative mind behind The 7th Guest, The 11th Hour, and Doom 3. So sit back and enjoy a really interesting and detailed interview with a real retro gaming legend. So Matt, thank you so much for being here on the Arcade Attack podcast. It's a real pleasure and honour to have you here. So thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. Um, really, really quickly, let's get right down to your, your earliest memories and fondest memories of playing video games. Was there any games that you loved playing as a kid? What were your early memories? Well, I sort of saw the birth of video games. So I was always a gamer. Yeah. Um, I or early in my writing career, I did. Uh, I did some solo modules published for Dungeons and Dragons and uh, DC Heroes and Call of Cthulhu. Any, any role-playing gamers out there will know all those systems. Yeah. And also I did some board games. I did a board game based on Lone Wolf and Cub, which was a, a bit controversial, but <laughs> it was a double solitaire game. It's for two people to play by themselves. Oh, nice. A uh, little weird, but uh, and the and has it, but it has its fans. And has people, the, the rules editing wasn't the best. So anyhow, I was always a gamer, always, um, I mean, most of college, rather than go to class, I'd stay up to four in the morning playing games. Yeah. And, um, but I was, I guess I was teaching, and it's about that time that Atari and the first Odyssey came out. And Odyssey may, I'd have to do the research, Odyssey, the first Odyssey system may have come out before Atari. And uh, it basically had ping pong, you know, pong, a version of pong, and various other things like that. Yeah. Um, and that was my first taste of uh, video games. And it wasn't until, in terms of working on them, you know, I, I started reviewing games for Analog Science Fiction Magazine and Isaac Asimov Science Fiction Magazine. I became a contributing editor at Games Magazine. Oh, nice. So I saw every game, every computer game, every video game. I did that when Nintendo tried to reintroduce the video game system. Um, 
by having the NES, the Nintendo Entertainment System. Of course. Yeah. Uh, this was after the Atari had gone down in flames post ET. Yeah. Um, I did a review that um, basically I said this may be a game changer because I would have thought video games were dead. Yeah. It was a fad, the hula hoop. It was like the hula hoop, or you think of the fad, the fad was over. Um, and I did this review and they put it in their press kit for the Consumer Electronics Show. And it really was the re-emergence of the video game, largely because they put a robot in there. And the <laughs> robot, the robot was almost like, um, what's the expression they use? I think Hitchcock used it. It's like the wiener. You look and say, oh, it's got a robot, so it's not the old video game. Yeah. yeah. And the robot, you could have the robot. Do, eventually, the robot went away. This little thing that could, you could stack things, you could grab things, and it was quite cute. I don't know how you get one today, but. Uh, and that brought back the video game system. But the first time I'm, I'm rattling on here, so feel free That's to right. say, shut up. <laughs> we don't, we don't have a history lesson here. No, I'm really interested. <laughs> so, but the first time I actually wrote a video game or computer game yeah. was, uh, and I, you, you actually didn't even answer your question, which is what's some of my favorites, but I played all the Ultima series back in terms of computer games. And I love those first Nintendo games, yeah. um, which were great. And and there's some games that, um, like Activision did an early Aliens game, which though the graphics are like minimal, it was an excellent game. But I was I had become a novelist. I was writing horror novels, mm. and some people out in uh, Oregon contacted me and said we're looking for a writer. And your who does horror, and your name was mentioned, recommended, and I said, "Well, yes, that's true, but also, I'm a I'm a gamer. I design games, I write role playing games, I review games, and so that's how my involvement with Seven Guests began." Brilliant. I mean, that's your two hobby, you know, your two real loves actually came collided. Then it must be amazing. Well, it was great because they came not knowing that. They, 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 they wanted someone who's going to write a horror story to build the story of Seventh Guest. Yeah. Um, but they, they got much more than that. <laughs> yeah. And so, and, and which I think, you know, Rob and Graham were the founders of the company, Rob Landeros and Graham Devine would, would admit. And it changed, uh, Seventh Guest certainly changed the trajectory of my life. Brilliant. I mean, the Seventh Guest, we can't understate how important that game was because before The Seventh Guest, it was mm-hmm. discs, wasn't it? Loads of discs. This was pro- one of the first proper CD-ROM games ever released. So it was a bit of a game changer as well. So much in that game. And it, it must have been quite an amazing time to work on it, I assume. Well, yeah, and there were people who said they weren't going to be able to do it. Yeah. I can remember at an early CES... Um, the people from the parent company, which was called Virgin, yep. they had a, they had a wing, you know, the same, same Branson brand, yep. but they had a wing called Virgin Mastertronic. And, um, they, people were saying, you're not going to be able to do 40 frames per second of video in a game. It's impossible. So there was a sense of, yes, we're making history if we actually, if it actually gets made. Wow. It actually happens. And of course, it never, it wasn't back then as became the, the standard for games, you know, hitting hitting a date where it's due did not actually really occur. It always get pushed back, pushed back. Um, but then it came out, and everyone said, "Wow, there it is!" And uh, people looked at it, 
and they had never seen anything like that before. It blew my, I mean, I remember playing at my uncle's house and it blew my mind. I, I hadn't, you know, like, like you said, nothing like that had really come up before. It was no. so, I mean, the graphics were amazing. The story was brilliant. The puzzles were really well thought mm-hmm. out. It was the whole package. Um, it must have been amazing to be <laughs> working on that. Well, it, it really was. I mean, it's, I've had like three or four creative highlights. That's, that's probably the top one yeah, yeah. because it was such a game changer along with mist. I mean, mist was also a game changer. They were sort of co-current. Yeah. Um, mist being also a puzzle based game. That's right. You, but, yeah. uh, I mean, after that, it was like, you did seventh guess. You worked in seventh guess. It was like, you know, it, it was, you were catapulted into a, a very rarefied atmosphere. And the company went from, when I started with them, it was like three or four people. Rob Stein was working there. They had someone who was managing the office was, and me. And I was based in the East Coast. And then it went from 20 people to 40 people to 60 people. And um, and then it went in the other direction, of course, yep. as time goes on. Of course. Um, I mean, you were given, I assume, quite a lot of creative freedom with the seventh guest. Can you remember how much... How, what, what was your big inspirations and how, well, how much freedom were you given when you worked with this? Well, when they first approached me, they had, and again, I'm working on memory here. Yeah. Um, when they first approached me, they had, uh, they actually had a name guest and the idea of a haunted house. Yeah. So they wanted a haunted house story and the concept would be that it would be puzzle based. Now, what they also didn't know when they hired me was I had done a book called The Greatest Puzzles of All Time, which essentially was a history of puzzles. So it was just filled with classic puzzles, some of which ended up going into the game. So I basically did a, um, a script that was broken into rooms. So you had your setup, and then as the rooms opened, more or less – it might more or less linear fashion, but sometimes I think you can get two different places open. Yeah. The story would fall into place as you unlocked it in an area, whether it's the kitchen or the library or yeah. this or that. Um, and you can start piece together the story, which is basically uh, a satanic deal, uh, which could lead into the sacrifice of this young boy who I believe his name is Tad. Right. Um, and so then they got, they had basically had a script for each room which they could link with the puzzles. And um, I think that in the the making of book that was done by Prima, I think they have my full script. Um, so you can actually read exactly what I wrote. And, you know, Rob and Graham, we'd have some script meetings about it, tweaking it. But um, often in games, you don't get that much freedom. But that, that game was like the palette was mine to play with. It sounds like the perfect... Well, the- <laughs> The perfect game to get yourself involved in. Is that fair to say? I mean, you couldn't really hope for much more for a, for a Yeah, start. well, essentially, I was doing something. For example, you know, I was paid to do it. Yeah. And uh, I said, well, at least I got that going for me. <laughs> <laughs> the check cleared because yeah. I didn't know. I said, are these guys going to be able to pull this off? Yeah. And then it was the sheer joy of doing it. And the joy of work, to be honest, the joy of working with them. Yeah. It, it, was, it was heady times. It wasn't quite like Meet the Beatles, but it was something like this. It was fun and excited, the, the sheer giddiness of doing this project we were doing. So I missed a lot of the pain because I'm not I'm not programming it. I'm not making chairs align properly. Uh, so I got a lot of the fun 
stuff without having to do the how are we going to do this and how are we going to do this effect? How are we going to make that head jump out of the soup pot? <laughs> well, I could write, a head comes out of the soup pot, but they have to make it occur. Yeah, so you came with the idea and you let other people get on with it. I like that. Right, which is what screenwriters do. Yeah. You know, but they have like a team of a hundred people, man, you know, making these things occur. Yeah. So, um, and some, some effects I think got dialed down and others like the clown with balloons yeah. gets in there, you know, um, cause everyone loves clowns. Yeah, that's right. Which is, so yeah, so it was a, definitely a dream project. That's for sure, which is like a great combination of passion. Fun. I mean, having fun when you do stuff has always been important for me. Yeah. Otherwise, no. I mean, we all have to work. We all have to make a living. But um, to enjoy something that much was great. Fair enough. I mean, you've already mentioned briefly already, but working with Rob and Graham, it sounds like it was a good team. Um, did you? What was the atmosphere like when you're producing this game? I know you're saying it you went completely trouble to be made, but was it one of the best times in your game industry? Would you say? Yeah. I mean, I've, I've had since then. I've had good and really good experiences mm. and some less less good um but I, I i flew out there probably two three times where we would you know just sort of do a, a vulcan mind meld on the project and talk about different things uh and then i remember one ces show we went to and uh, and in retrospect i could sort of label it like an ocean's 11 moment because i think the fat man was there who did the music of course yeah. rob and graham and we're walking down in las vegas you know, four across, and Graham says, we make a pretty good team, don't we? Because the world was our oyster, or yeah. their oyster, or all of our oyster at that point. Uh, and that was that was a pretty great moment. Uh, good on you. Yeah. It sounds like you, you had a brilliant team and everyone sort of pulled together. Um, yeah, and, then, and you know, we, and we got to acknowledge those, you know, eventually people brought in, like Rob Stein's work on the game, yeah. artistically tremendous. Um, a lot of creative people. The music Fantastic. And hopefully everyone got enough praise and financial reward for all their work because uh, it definitely took a village to do to make that game. That's yeah, I mean, for sure. it, like I said earlier, I, I love the game and I'm, I'm a massive fan of adventure games, point and click games. And this mm-hmm. kind of combined a bit of that, but in a whole different angle. And I do remember the atmosphere as well. I mean, I was probably quite young when I started playing it, truthfully, but it was, you got that creepiness and the story. And I think Bill Gates actually said, famously, this this game is the new standard in interactive entertainment. I mean, was there yeah. was there a point when you're making this game, you thought this is something special, uh, this is going to be a game changer? And how would you reflect back on the game even even now? Well, I, th- I think there came a point when I saw that it wasn't simply I wasn't simply getting paid for doing this; that it was getting likely. Sorry, it's money. Other phone. Uh, it was getting likely that it was actually going to occur. Yeah. And then, then seeing it, I and since I had been a game reviewer, I saw everything, so yeah. I knew it was done. I knew what people did. Um, and seeing this, saying that there's nothing like this. This, this is going to blow people away. And of course, the Gates quote, absolutely tremendous. And um, it's like the Pope saying, "This is the future." <laughs> <laughs> and like. And it was. And I think a lot of people in Hollywood and, I mean, Silicon Valley wasn't what it was, isn't, back then was, wasn't what it was today. But, you know, people would fly in, have meetings with them. And, um, so it was very, very exciting. Now, a lot of that glitz and explosiveness 
an expansion. Of course, I miss because I'm based in New York. Yeah. And in some ways, that was fortunate. In some ways, that was good because I, as I said, I got to enjoy all the good stuff without dealing with difficult things, not only making it, but also difficult things perhaps to come. I understand. I understand. With Bill Gates, it must feel pretty good that Bill Gates was a big fan of the game. <laughs> Definitely. And, you know, I, I, I travel around the world and I speak on the games I do now. Yeah, which yeah. I've been doing games for, since then. Um, and I have people come and say, I, we used to play this game with my friends in the basement. It was so scary. And I'm talking about people in Singapore, people in Beijing. <laughs> I mean, um, people all around the world, Australia. It's, it's a, for a lot of people, it's a touchstone. It's something, you know, it's a, an artifact. It's a bit of nostalgia. Yeah. But everyone remembers. And the other thing about it is that the interface that was designed, you remember the interface, the, the, the skeletal hand. Of course, yeah. chest. You could put your grandmother, as long as she wasn't Norman Bates's mother, <laughs> you could put your grandmother in front of the computer. She could play the game. Yeah, it was very accessible, wasn't it? I mean, yeah, I mean, and and of course the puzzles were tricky, hmm. but none, and they got trickier as the the farther you went up the house to the attic, and the attic there's actually one puzzle in the attic I don't think I can do <laughs> without some help, <laughs> yeah. but um, the puzzles were doable and classic, and and of course when you, then there's the acting the. They they hired local actors and, and the, this local woman who was a director who also played I think Martine, um, she directed them. So Henry Stout was memorable. Uh, Robert Hirschberger he did uh, he did a great job. Oh wait I probably his name wrong. Sorry. I should explain to everybody that I'm actually in the midst of the flu but <laughs> carrying on anyway. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> do appreciate it. Yeah. Um. Do you have a personal favorite puzzle in the Seven Guest Mansion? Is there one that you think, yeah, I'm really proud of that, or one that you think this, well, this, this is I the mean, best? I mean, I, I like the ones that are doable by, like, most people say, yeah, I can do that. So the Canals of Mars with the telescope. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. And, and then, which is, that, that puzzle is over 150 years old. Wow. That's an, that's an ancient puzzle. You can, you can get my book. I think it's still in print and, or get the digital copy. And that I talk about Sam Lloyd who created that puzzle. The cake puzzle is interesting too. But the one that I had the most fun one, fun with was the, the great puzzle. I mean, great. I mean, G R A T E. You're, you're, you're down below in the basement area. And to get through, you got, it's a sliding block puzzle. And again, sliding block puzzles are 100, 150 years old. This one I made up, so I remember cutting up bits of cardboard and going like that, moving it around to see whether it worked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and um, and then then of course they had to take the idea of doing it, make a digital version of it. So those are three I really enjoyed because with the sliding great puzzle, I prefer. I like puzzles. I also did a book about puzzles, but I prefer when the challenges in the game are environmental, meaning so moving bits of metal to make an opening is is a realistic environmental challenge. Yeah. Uh, so like that. Whereas like the Canals of Mars is a great puzzle looking through the telescope, but you know that's that's a puzzle. It, you know, so the ones that are less less puzzly, more environmental. I also 
like those two and would be my preference. Though some people just like good puzzle game. Yeah. And puzzle games became, you know, Seventh Guest, while sold tons, tremendous acclaim. It also had people saying, oh, this is not a game. Oh, really? You know, I'm not, I'm not gaming. Whatever gaming was, I'm going around solving puzzles and locking doors, and <laughs> that's not a game. Well, who's who's to decide what a game is? You yeah, know, yeah, it's, it's it's certainly a different genre. I think you know you could argue you said you help create a new sort of gaming movement, can you really? But, yeah, certainly. I think it took a while, but you know, there's been a renaissance, yeah. renaissance of uh, puzzle games yeah. over the past five, ten years where. I, I think I did a talk once where I presented data on game genres and puzzle games are number one. And I forget number two might be shooters. Point, yeah, you know, shooters. I mean, the Professor Layton's, I mean, my wife's a huge fan of those, but oh yeah, we, we, they wouldn't be here today without, you know, leading the groundwork. I mean, that's crazy when you think about it. Yeah, they're, they're definitely descendants of that. But when this came out, there was, outside of when Mist came along, yeah. They were the, it didn't exist as a genre. And the gaming magazine, some of the people said, hmm, this is not a game. <laughs> <laughs> no, because they had a very strict concept of what a game was. And I, I think a game can be anything where you're playing. I've done shooters. Yeah. Lord knows I, I've done, I did Doom 3. So I've done yeah, shooters. Yeah. I know what that's like. Um, but a game is a game. It's where you play and you're playing with stuff. And this happens to be a digital game. Yeah. I'd agree. So, um, I want to talk about the 11th hour, the, the sequel. The uh-huh. sequel. How did that opportunity come about? Was it something that came quite organically? Was it your suggestion? Or? Well, the, the, well, again, the story was mine. Yeah. Um, with collaborating again with Rob and Graham. And um, the script was mine. The, the house is, of course, of course, it's years later. Yep. So I, I can remember one interesting point about that saying to them, the house would have no electricity. It would have no lighting. Can we do a flashlight? I think initially Graham said, well, I don't know if we can do a flashlight. And the next day he said, yeah, I think I figured a way we can do it. So there is a flashlight effect in that game. Yeah. And so, and of course, some of the action, a good portion of the action, that story, which is basically were detectives on the trail of what happened back then to those people and what happened to that boy takes place outside the house. Um, so in a, in a way it was a more robust and challenging idea for a sequel. I think commercially in terms of expediency today, you'd say, let's just do a set of the guests too. Yeah. You know, no new story, new house, new, and you could have actually gotten out much faster. 11th hour took a long time and, and midway or partial way in its production, you'd have to talk to Robin Graham about this. Uh, windows came in. Yeah. And, um, and so it had to be made windows, you know, because before some of the guests was for a PC, yeah. you know, it wasn't for windows, it was MS DOS. And now we have, they have to make something work with windows. So that delayed it longer. So catching that wave of seventh guest love, it was years later. Yeah. So, right. And it's a different kind of game. And it's a different kind of game partially because I think, you know, and honestly, the story I told and some of the characters as a waitress there who, who has a prosthetic arm. It's a, it's a darker tale. Yeah. Seventh guest is a gothic spooky. It's like an amusement park ride. Eleventh hour is a little darker. Mm. Um, they also brought a professional director in 
who darken that further. Yeah. And so, um, yeah. So that's, <laughs> and so the react, some people I think respond to that not only to the delay, but also to the material being different and the puzzles got considerably harder. So it was an ambitious, different tone sequel. Yeah. And, um, you know, people always ask about Seventh Guest. They don't ask as much about Eleventh Hour because that, that that love, mm. it, they didn't have that sense of love for it, I think. Is it true that a few R-rated scenes were cut on the Eleventh Hour? You say it's quite a dark, well, really dark game, but could it be even darker if, if kept everything in? Uh, yes, there was, um, there was material, and I'm not sure if that material was actually in my script right. that was definitely R-rated. Um, so it was ambitious. I mean, I'm trying to think the year this came out, whether Twin Peaks was running. So there was a feeling of pushing the envelope in that regard. Right. So it was being pushed. Um, I think they got, that got cut, but that definitely would, you would have said, um, you know, if there's nudity and, and, and even this, you know, more graphic gore, well, you know, there's no graphic gore really in some of the cast, but there was some graphic gore, but that was certainly dialed down. And a lot of that occurred, I think, in the script development process, which was a different script development process than I had with some guests. Right. Fair enough. Um, do you, um, was there any ever dis- any discussions at all that there'd be another another sort of game in the series? Is eleventh hour that obviously that's the final kind of one in the series? It, was it ever a sequel yeah, planned? I, I I think that. Um, well, Eleventh Hour, I, I believe, numerically did well. At least mm. based on, you know, royalties I got, it seemed to do well. Mm. It didn't do as well as Seventh Guest. And at that point, Trilobite had become a large company. Yep. And it was diversifying in various ways. Uh, different games being developed. Um, they start developing, working on Tender Loving Care with that same director, which is going to be a highly cinematic game. Uh, and also groundbreaking how it's going to be looking at people. So the idea of doing a third one, I think, um, perhaps I, I, again, you'd have to check with Robin Green. Perhaps the demand wasn't there, mm-hmm. but also I think creatively they want to move on. I was working on a game for them that was set in Antarctica. Wow. That was going to be science fiction horror. And I was working with a producer there named Kellen Beck, who, um, we, we, we're developing, we're building, building the game. It was basically going to be using sort of a seventh guest, 11th hour template to tell a story about, uh, genetic manipulation and terror in Antarctica. It sounds a bit like the thing. And, <laughs> well, it does. You know, I'm inspired. I, I did two novels that are, one is, um, the opens in Antarctica. Yeah. And, um, Another book sort of touches on that, but I'm a big fan of the original story. The thing is based on yeah. by John Campbell, who goes there. The original black and white thing, and of course John Carpenter's thing. Yeah, yeah. A lot of a lot of nice things there. So uh, I've been and uh, and there's H.P. Uh, Lovecraft's At the Mountains of Madness, which is one of his probably his greatest work. One mm-hmm. of certainly his great, close to his greatest work, which is set entirely in Antarctica. So this idea of doing this with science base up there would have been a lot of fun. I mean, there was the science sketches, there were creatures, there were all the, but you know, at that point, their resources. And here's where you have to, I think probably go in line. Someone did a whole 
oral history of the rise and fall of trilobite, which is probably floating out there in the internet. Yeah. Sort of documents this period. So this project, which had been very cool, went so far and then. Oh, it's a shame. On ice, literally. On ice, forever. Yeah, did, forever frozen in ice. <laughs> didn't have a name until. But you yeah. know, the thing is, as a creative person, you move on. Yeah. And, you know, it opened a lot of doors for me. And I would say I've done a lot of projects that haven't happened, but also done a lot of projects that have. And you just sort of have to roll with it. Was direct, if you could choose one project uh, you wish was released or could resurrect, would you choose the, the, the Antarctica story if you could? Oh, that's an interesting question. See, I'd have to, you know, I'd actually have to clear my flu-ridden head to, <laughs> yeah. um, because, you know, if you, if you, if you're talking across media, I had a TV series set up with the BBC with my co-writer, Neil Richards, that we had a shooting schedule in Prague. Oh, really? It's a time, tra- time travel series. And then a series of bad things happened. <laughs> the Canadian co-partner went bankrupt or something. Oh. Prague got flooded. That didn't happen. Uh, so I have, I have a good number of those in the te- television area. Area, uh, in terms of games, um, it's after that. I mean, I think m- most of the games I really cared about got made. Yeah, I, I would say that's probably the game I would like to have seen that didn't get made. I had some games that were like, for example, I did the Aladdin game for Disney, and and at one point that that was in complete jeopardy because it was. Robin Williams was in it. It's going to be very expensive. And it was going to be a beautiful game. And Michael Eisner said, let's do it. They did it. I think they lost a ton of money because it cost $5 million to make. And I, I, it's, it's a great game. A, so you, oh, you're, yeah. involved, you're involved in the platforming game. Okay. Yeah, I've done some things that have been uh, platform. I, you know, um, so I'm just kind of eclectic where, I mean, if I something creatively interests me, I mean, I, I was flown out to uh, California to meet with uh, Team Barbie. Yeah. You know Barbie? You know, she's blonde, wears heels, Barbie. <laughs> yeah. So, And I go in a room. I'm the only male there. And they're doing this game, which is going to be both for platform and for, for PC, Barbie's Writing Club. But they have no story. They have nothing of interest happening. So I, they, they hired me to just brainstorm for a day or two. And then after that, they said, would you write it? Wow. And um, and then I wrote it, and then I made classic Barbie mistakes, which is Barbie comes to the trail, and there's uh, branches on the trail, and she gets off the horse to clear the trail, and she said, well, no, 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 Barbie doesn't do this. <laughs> Barbie, back then, see, now Barbie, these days, she'd probably pick up a flamethrower, <laughs> yeah. like Ripley from the Alien. Yeah. But back then, she didn't do that. So, uh, and also, I did a Hercules game. Um yeah, and oh, by the way, it just just triggered something. You made me think about games that didn't happen. Yeah. I got pretty knee deep with Disney in doing what would be a haunted mansion game. Wow! Did the backseat backscene tour of um, backstage tour of the haunted mansion ride. Wow! And um, because that's one of their iconic rides and attractions worldwide, and I said this. Was kind of this could be really a lot of fun, sort of like a seventh guest, fifteen years on or so, you know. Um, but with uh, and and the thing is with Disney, you know, there's your boss. The next day, where'd he go? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
the guy who's doing it with is, you know, don't ask. Oh, <laughs> he he sleeps with the fishes tonight. No, oh. I'm kidding. He didn't <laughs> say fishy. He's alive and breathing. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, that sounds incredible. It, that could have been a, I mean, that could, I don't know if it was aimed at children. That could have been like a whole different genre, not genre, a whole different sort of audience for your sort of puzzle uh, game, couldn't it? Yeah, and and I I forget the game mechanics you're exploring, but it was going to be a, a certainly a mix of some puzzle base, but also the and then I would lobby that we can make the puzzles environmental. Yeah, you know, like there's a sets of keys and which key opens which door and how does that lock work and how do you, you know it's classic stuff that a game would use, but use the whole back this whole amazing backstory of the haunted mansion. Well, it's not that amazing, they're pretty amazing. I mean, there's all these characters. Once you once I got into it, I said. There's all like everything with Disney. There's a whole universe there, so that was fun. But I'd learned, you know, some things happened. Aladdin happened. Haunted Mansion didn't. But who knows? Maybe someday it'll come back. I hope, I hope it does. Right. F- final question on okay. uh, on on the sort of seventh guest era. Then we move on to Doom. If that's all right. Um, okay. If Rob and Graham approach you tomorrow and they said, "Look, Matt, let's sit down. Let's try and get a whole new seventh guest game." Or try and reboot the originals, maybe. Would that be something mm-hmm. you'd, that would interest you? Well, the first thing I can say that's never going to happen. Right. <laughs> <laughs> For various reasons, that will not occur. Yeah. And um, I th- there was a seventh guest reboot, not a reboot, a, a sequel being explored. Um, and at one point, I was, I would, I had said I would work on that. Mm-hmm. And then another point, I said I wouldn't work on it. And the reason I wouldn't work on it is I, you know, it's about relationships. In other words, if you're going to spend a year working on something, a year and a half, I mean, I, I love Robin Graham to bits. Yeah. We're blood brothers to the end, you know. Um, I hope they think that way, too, because of what we've been through. But, you know, if someone, I'm going to be working with someone that I know that I just – that that exceeds my limits. So because of that, I I basically had to pull away from that project. So I did. It didn't fly ultimately. Yeah, yeah. But there is a there's a fan group that I've been in touch with, and and they got a they got a green light from Rob um, to do a fan based sequel called The Thirteenth Doll. Oh, nice. So that's that's a and the graphics. Are, and I think they're all working the game business, so they're doing this on the side. Uh, almost out of love, and um, and the only other thing is, you know, I think everybody should know that coming this July there'll be the seventh guest board game, oh, which emerged when I was talking to Rob about something. I said, you know, Kickstarter board games get funded like in two hours. Yeah. The fan base of board games very large, and sure enough, he put seventh guest board game up there. So this this July, it's gonna he went and he did. It's gonna have little figures of the characters. <laughs> I can't. I can't wait to see that. Yeah. That's gonna be fun. That does sound really good. I'll be mm-hmm. checking it out. Don't you worry about that. Um, right, Doom Three, another huge game you're involved in. I mean, the Doom mm-hmm. Doom franchise is absolutely amazing. I mean, how mm-hmm. did how did this opportunity come about? And uh, were you a big fan of Doom before you started working? Well, it? being a reviewer, I had seen you know, the Wolfenstein yep. and Doom, so I knew those games and had and you know this is back when they were very basic. Graphically, you know, yeah. the first, but still certainly fun to play. And um, the, that actually came about because Graham Devine from Trilobite got hired by id Software in Mesquite, Texas. 
And they apparently were looking for a writer. And I believe they had never really worked with a writer before. And he said, well, why not meet Matt? Maybe that's a writer you could work with. So I, they flew me out to Mesquite, Texas, and I met with John Carmack. Mm. I guess everybody knows who John Carmack, Carmack is. Legend. If not, you can Google him. <laughs> yeah. Headed the company. Yeah. Also the guy who designs the game engines and along with his team. And spent a day or two there. He interviewed me, probed me, got a feeling for, you know, how I'd be to work with and also what I could provide in terms of services. And then they hired me. And the remit essentially was to fill out the game because Doom 3 was going to be graphic. It's going to be like a full-fledged game world. But what is that world? What is the mythos? You know, how do these monsters get here? Where, you know, how does hell connect with a transporter machine? What's going on Mars? What are the bases in Mars? So, uh, building that whole world in a Bible, what's called the Bible, that was, um, part of my job or knit. The other part would be, of course, scripting the stuff for, um, actual dialogue. And there's a lot of information as we, these are, these are early days of PDAs, but a lot of information on handheld PDAs the characters would carry about family back home, sort of deepening the emotional part of the story and also creating some sort of arc to what happens over the game. It's while still remaining true to the fact that essentially you're going in and shooting many of these creatures from hell as you can till, so you can get to the big spider mind and destroy him. So that was great fun. I mean, completely different experience. And, and I work with producer Tim Willits, who was the producer slash designer of the game and we met out there then we he came to new york and we had meetings here and talked through it and then did the script he edited the script and, and then doom 3 came out yeah. yeah i mean it's a great game i mean was it so it wasn't your idea to set it on mars or such you were, you were given that but you had to sort of fill in the gaps i suppose all right yeah i i, I again i'm working on memory yeah. here um but my guess is Mars was in place and the, and the basic doom story was in place about, you know, monster creatures from hell. And, yeah. But, um, I then worked on how do we get to Mars? How do we travel to Mars? What's the status? I, I created the organization. You'd have to go look it up. I think it's like United Aerospace Corporation that actually has a, it's not a faster than light speed but it's a near light speed engine so it can get to Mars in a speedy way and sort of, you know, sort of built that world. What, what is good? How, how, how big is the development of Mars? How are they connected to how often people outside, how do they travel? Um, so on and so forth. Yeah, yeah. And every now and then I look at that Bible because it's, it's always when I'm doing a new project, I say, well, what are the, what are the categories I hit in that? Cause it's a, it's, it's like a tutorial for myself. Because I don't necessarily remember, but I said, "Oh yeah, I covered that. I covered that. I did this. I did that." And um, yep, oh, nice one. Um, was Doom your personal favorite sh- uh, first-person shooter back in the day, or do you was he you know you're a big fan of that genre? That um, let's see. Well, I had done. I'm trying to think of sequence. I had done a Vietnam game for Guerrilla Games. Yeah. Called Shellshock Nam 67. And I think I did that before. And that was the first time I did something that was going to involve a lot of gun, gunplay. Yeah. Um, 
one of the differences was I wanted to make sure that all the characters there were real characters, sort of like watching Platoon. So not just random people dying. And um, the company got access to using a lot of the music of the era. So there's a lot of great vintage Roy Orbison, people like that in the soundtrack. Um, but that was the first time I was dealing with a lot of gunplay. So, you know, so that, that was a little bit stretching. And I had to mesh it. You know, I've done gunplay in books. You know, when when the zombies are coming at you, it's good to take them out with, yeah. uh, but, but not in the game. Um, but Doom 3, obviously a whole different story because the weaponry is very important. And to be honest, other than saying that these people are armed, the actual weapons, the design of them, the selection, the upgrades, that obviously was handled all internally by it. But in terms of my experience, having played Doom, hadn't played Wolfenstein, I knew I knew the form of the genre. I knew why people liked it. Yeah. And it actually isn't that that much different than say Duck Hunt from the old <laughs> Nintendo Entertainment. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's like you know, it's not that much different, you know. Um so yeah. No, that's a good answer. Um your work on Doom Three, was was that used to help create the Doom film with Dwayne Johnson? Is that true? Well, this is what I was told by Tim Willits, and yeah. I could check with him, and because I'm relying on memory again. But he said, you know, they used a lot of your stuff from your thing you've done in the Doom Three film, which I'm not sure I should actually brag about because I've seen the film. <laughs> and considering how beloved the Doom franchise is, the film was disappointing. Yeah, but that's what Tim Willits said uh, at the time, and. Um, and also, uh, they did a follow-up, which used some of the stuff to do Doom Resurrection, which was sort of the add-on to Doom 3. Mm. Oh, good. Um, tough, tough question, but can you run us through a typical day of writing a story for a video game, and what's your big inspirations? Is it, how would you explain your sort of a typical day? Okay. Um, hmm. Well, first of all, I'd say there is no typical day. Yeah. Every project I seem to do in terms of the game world is different. It's, I wouldn't say it's quite reinventing the wheel, but recently, not fairly recently, I finished Planet of the Apes Last Frontier and that whole process and that whole game, vastly different. Controversial reception, but vastly different. But essentially it starts with what you do for any writing medium, like a novel or screenplay. It comes with the idea. Um, when when I write, you know, from my home, I'll go out, I'll go jogging, running, and just let thoughts come. I'll start taking notes. I'll start building up ideas, and start. And and then once you have a jumble of stuff sort of fermenting there, of things you'd like to include in this game world you're building, then you got to sort of like discipline it and organize it. So you start building a template. What are these things we want to cover? And handle. And then, and then it's like, you know, a blank canvas, you know, so the characters start getting built. The places start getting built. You know, sometimes the plot may come first. Sometimes you may want to get the world in place because that's going to suggest plot. They sort of go back and forth. Plot is going to influence world and world's going to influence plot. And then character is going to interact with both of them. Um, so it's a lot of notepads, a lot of old school, just, scrolling things down, 
sometimes doing simple pictures, which I'll show nobody because it's just for me, <laughs> and then start creating the documents that are needed. And the documents grow with it. It might start with a two pager. Yeah. And you want to get feedback. Does everyone feel cool about this? They feel this. This is the game story in the game world. Everyone's, you know, and that grows to a five pager, then a ten pager, then a hundred pager, and so eventually, I think with Planet of the Apes: uh, Last Frontier, uh, which I wrote again with Neil Richards, I think you know we probably had four hundred, five hundred pages of script. Wow! Uh, doing that, but it started out again two or three people meeting in Ealing, in uh, London, talking about what kind of game we want to make for this world so every project is different and and i think that's that's why i find so refreshing mm. is that you you can't simply say oh we're doing the game you know i think companies need to be wary of that because they say we did this game well we're just going to do another game we follow the same point mm. i think you can really gotta see what what's going to make the beast behave well mm. and it may be a different structure maybe tackling it from a different angle than you did from the last project that's good. I appreciate that, yeah. Is there a project or game that you, you think, this is my best work, I'm so proud of this? Is there a point you look back and think, this is where I've really reached my my, my top <laughs> top level? Yeah, okay, so I would say that I'll, I'll give you four or five or six. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He said it modestly. <laughs> well, first of all, Seventh Guest, obviously. Yeah. And, you know, but it, that, in a way, it's almost beginner's luck, but I'm forever proud of that. Um, Doom 3, I feel like to work with that franchise at that point, to work with a team where they were taking leap of faith and really working with a writer, that was tremendous. And it's very collaborative. Both, one thing Doom 3 and Seventh Guest share is an openness to ideas, you know, an openness to talk. Nobody's egos on display. Mm. We're just there to make the best game we can. Doom 3 certainly. And, um, Zoom Disney, which was a project I did for the Disney Channel, they wanted to rebrand uh, the Disney Channel. Yeah. At that point, it was all like Winnie the Pooh was for little kids, and they wanted to start. So we created something called Zoom Disney, Z-O-O-G Disney, with all these characters. And it was way ahead of its time because basically during the week, kids would put their comments and scores online. During the week, before the weekend, we would then put it on a – on the screen with the shows, so it would run along almost as though they're interacting with the program, their scores and the games, their comments and so forth. And it, it uh, ran for about a year and a half, two years. That changed um, the change the channel. And the thing is, we were doing something that now is dead easy to do, but back then we were it, it was it was crazy because there's a weak turnaround process, interviewing people, getting scores, getting the information, getting it ready to go out. Um, I did F with F. Paul Wilson, who's a, another writer of horror and science fiction and suspense. I did FTL News on the Sci Fi Channel for six years, and that's a whole epic story of its own. But six years of writing a one minute daily newscast from the future, <laughs> and uh, it ran for six years, and we had a blast. We, we built up the future world. We made up nations. We created characters. We got people that we liked or were just curious about to play characters. So we had other writers come in. We had Timothy Leary do a role. We had the magician, the amazing Kreskin do one. Um, at, at some point we needed an alien who 
who comes in an asteroid. I ended up being that alien and acting with this actress from the USA network. Uh, so that was a blast. That was a creative high point to be sure. And the recent Planet of the Apes was probably one of the best creative projects I've done, period, because it was starting with nothing other than the Planet of the Apes universe and the movies and building our own story, uh, essentially a new game format, yeah. feeding off some other things, um, and watching that grow again from a couple of people in a room to a whole. And that, you know, as I said, I did that with my co-writer, Neil Richards, and our producer was Martin all times. And he showed real bravery and vision and forging ahead with that that game. And some some of the people out there, some reviewers have actually loved it. And some people are aghast at it. <laughs> it's always, in a way, it almost bookends with Seventh Guest saying, it's not a game. Yeah. You know, because um, in, in a way, they have a, they have a point. It's a, it's, a, it's a movie where you're going to change what happens in that movie. But every 30 seconds by making a decision. Wow. Every 30 seconds. And every decision counts. Every decision is weighed. In a way, I think people don't see that when they play that game, that all these little decisions are going to accrue with some bigger decisions later and lead to the apes being wiped out, the humans being wiped out. So um, I, I love that project. It was challenging, difficult. Again, it was doing something I hadn't been done before, yeah. as far as I can tell. Ahead of its time, it sounds like, definitely. Yeah. Stuff. So um, there's a few. Yeah. There's a few that I'm pretty happy about. I'm not surprised. Yeah, you're very proud of those, definitely. Um, obviously, you've, you've worked in many medias uh, books, films, TV, and of course, games. Is there mm -hmm. a, a personal favorite out of all those you like, you like working in? Well, yeah, that's, that's interesting too because I mean, I, I love writing fiction. Yeah. I've done like 20, 25, 30, I don't know, a lot of novels. Yeah. Uh, and I'm doing, a, I'm currently doing a mystery series set in the Cotswolds oh, nice. uh, called, um, Cherryham, which is uh, written with my co-writer who's based in England. So he actually knows, I know England pretty well too, but yeah. he's, he's actually English. And that's done for Best Dine. It's become bestseller. They've, they've sold, um, I think 330,000 copies last check nice. and, uh, an equal number of audio books. So it's been a bestseller and, and they're mysteries. I love mysteries. Um, so fiction, I certainly adore, but it's also good to get away from the screen and go into a room with a bunch of people and brainstorm and create. I mean, it's like, it's, it's almost like shock treatment. You, you leave your bunny slippers at home and your cup of tea and you're in a room of creative people when you're making a game. So the, the balance to me has always been wonderful. I, I would not like to have I had only one. Yeah. Most of my most of my writer friends do one thing or the other. But to have both of them it it's really great. Because you you can have that pleasure of taking a cup of tea and writing a really scary scene on your on your Mac. Something really terrifying for a book. And then a week later now you're talking about people and you're taking down notes and you're building up the, a game world working on a video game. But they're both, they're very, very different, but they're both great. Brilliant. That sounds top answer there. Um, obviously you're a game outside, you know, you, you like playing games as well. Mm -hmm. It's a tough question, but have you got, what are your top three video games of all time? Hmm. Uh, 
Well, I've been uh, the new. I'm enjoying the new Wolfenstein. Yeah, yeah. Um, and um, so so that I mean, the current game is one I really like. I, I have to say, if we're talking video games, like video games, I I, I think uh, the the Zelda Link games, okay. that whole arc of them, especially the one the new one for Nintendo Switch, Breath of the Wild. Yeah, it, it, yeah, I'm it's, a huge it's fan. Won- wonderful. Um, and but uh, but going back in time, I'm trying to think about this game that I still think about. I think I mentioned the Aliens game from Activision, which people should check out. Yeah, because it's interesting game. But there was a game that used vector graphics. It had a. I'm trying to think of what it was, and this is like 20, 25 years ago, and, and you were a pilot on a ship. So it's all these you know white laser like lines of ships that you're navigating and fighting. I and it had a name like. Excel. I can't remember what it was called, but of that. And to be honest with you, I enjoyed Mist. I think Mist is yeah. equally a classic game. And um, so those are the few. But you know, staring staying current is hard. And I'll I'll also be honest here. I I think I told you I started with role playing games and board games. Yeah. I'm I'm a hardcore board gamer. Specifically, historical game. What's your favorite board game then? If I ask you, um, well, I'll give you four: Tide of Iron, yep. which is wonderful, um, Memoir Forty Four, but only if I use the rules I created to adapt it. <laughs> I said, okay, I like this game a lot, but I'm going to change the rules a bit here. Yeah. Um, the Conflict of Heroes is a wonderful game system, yeah, and. Um, and even the Axis and Allies miniatures, I wasn't a big miniatures fan because it involves measuring and so forth. But I've been getting into that because the, the little figures get to be, have their own little life. And there's something about the tactile nature of board games I love. Yeah. I love that you pick up a piece and move. And I, I hope that does. I, th- I think it's had a, as I said before, it has a renaissance. So I think it's here to stay. But those games occupy... When I'm not writing and I'm not cooking and I'm not jogging, um, I'm going to be over there moving armies. <laughs> it's right in my office. I turn around. I, I don't have one now because I'm flying tonight. Yeah. But I, I would have a map out there and have figures out there. Oh, Brilliant answer. I have to check some of those ball games out. Thank you, Matt. Appreciate that. Um, sure. A bit of a random question. If you mm-hmm. could be transported into any game you help create, which game would you choose and why? If you could actually live in, you know, maybe stay for a day in one of your video game creations. Yeah, okay. Would you uh, well, choose a mansion? I'll see what the 7th guess because that doesn't turn out well for most <laughs> yeah. of the people. Yeah. Um, or um, Planet of the Apes, people lose people. So I probably wouldn't care to do that. <laughs> I mean, depending on how you play it, you know, one yeah. of the main characters can lose their you know, lose their son, yeah. uh, so uh, which is a real emotional loss. Um, so I'd want something that's sort of lighthearted, so I'm not going to feel any... So I'd probably go with either Just Cause 1 and Just Cause 2, where okay. I can do just about anything. Yeah. I can I can lasso helicopters and go swinging over here, and, and it doesn't seem like I ever get shot. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So that would be that would be a, and it, and it's fun and is it, it, it has that sort of bubbly James Bond feel to it a little bit even though it's not a spy Good world. You're not tempted by Barbie world then, eh? 
No, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> um, before I say that, I've got really just two or three really quick fire questions. Um, yeah. What projects or games are you currently working on? Are you allowed to reveal some uh, some things here? Or well, normally you and. Um, NDA'd. Uh, mm. So I'm currently in some discussions about doing a game which will be running out of a company in Europe about which I can say nothing. <laughs> yes. And there's a possibility of another game perhaps with some of the people that we did Planet of the Apes with. We've had some meetings, discussions about other IP. Um, so those things are... Two things that are in play right yeah, now. Sounds interesting. Good stuff. Um, bit of a bizarre question as well. Uh, you share the name of quite a famous basketball player. Is that is that correct? Yeah. <laughs> well, have, yeah. It's funny. It's like you know. I mean, my name pops up. Yeah. You put, especially you put writer a game, but he obviously has been a pretty successful basketball. <laughs> have you ever met uh-huh. him at all? Matthew Castell. No, yeah. you know, I wish he'd go away. Actually, <laughs> I mean, he probably he probably wish I'd go away. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's just, I'm, you know, I got this writer pops up when he pops up, and I've also lately because I haven't decided whether maintaining an up to date website is important to me. Right. So I sort of let that go. And my and my son who's young, he says, you know, don't worry about updating your website. You know. There's enough stuff on it that if you want to see things you've done, it's all there. Um, but I probably will do something like that. But yeah, I know, I know, I have not met the basketball player, sad to say. Are you, are you a fan of his? I don't know what team he plays for, but oh man, it must be very um, weird. No, and basketball, to be honest, is my least favorite sport. I'm, I'm not big on sports anyway. I mean, I, I like to stay fit and all that. Yeah. But no, I, I can get into baseball. Rarely can I get into American football, but basketball to me it looks like they're just passing the ball and dribbling for two hours, <laughs> and then someone wins by one point. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. <laughs> I, I'd agree. I, you get so I'd say uh, um, you know UK football, you know soccer, oh, European yeah. soccer. That I, I have admiration for that game. There's a beauty and elegance there. Oh, I'm a big football fan, actually. Yeah, sort of soccer, as you yeah. call it. Um, yeah. Do you, do you come to the UK quite a lot then? Do you, you... Yeah, I'll probably over there in May where um, Neil Richards and I are cooking up uh, a new series and I can't say anything more than that. Yeah. So uh, we're planning to do and we'd like to get together and find a setting where something would take place and then brainstorm, make up story ideas and build our world. So that'll, that'll be in May. But I would say last year I was over like four or five, six oh, times. Nice. Brilliant. Right, before I say goodbye then, Matt, the final question. Um, uh-huh. If you could share a few drinks with any video game character, who would you choose and why? Hmm. <laughs> well, i got to be careful how I answer this, don't I? <laughs> <laughs> we, 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 I've asked this to I so mean, many if people. I, if I said Lara Croft... Yeah, that, that comes trouble, up all the time. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> that comes up all the time. That's, that is... If I had a drink every time I heard that, I'd be on the floor right now, trust me. <laughs> All right. Well, of course, with Lara Croft, you would behave yourself. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, well, I think, um, let me try to think. Of, there's a guy in the Just Cause games called Sheldon. Right. And he's like, he's like a, a crazy CIA guy. Who's, he runs Rico Rodriguez, who's the character we made up, um, who's the hero of the Just Cause games. And I think there's a movie in development for that too, but, and Sheldon is his, his opera, but Sheldon like wears a Hawaiian shirt. He's always mixing drinks. 
I mean, this is all a lark for him. Yeah. So he'd be a larger than life. And he, and, um, and the guy who did the voice work for him in the first Just Cause game was just fantastic. This big, booming, fun voice. Yeah. So meeting him at the Hemingway bar in Paris for drinks on his dime, because <laughs> the drinks are expensive there. Yeah. That would be good. That's but a brilliant he's, answer. He's a good character. Oh man, that's really, that's a brilliant answer. Thank you. Look, Thank I, you. I really appreciate your time today. That, you know, it's been such an honor to talk to you. Such interesting stories. Uh, well, great, I have to say great questions. There were some questions today that I haven't had before, which is always fun. Oh, thanks. And I appreciate I hope, that. Well, my answers were relatively clear, all things considered. <laughs> now, honestly, it's such a pleasure. Um, look, I'll say goodbye and uh, I hope you can speak in the future. But take sure care, thing. Matt. Yeah, thank you so much for the interview. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to today's podcast we really hope you enjoyed it if you want to get in touch regarding this week's episode or anything else you can tweet us at arcade attack uk at keith barlow 82 and at arcade underscore adriano we're also on facebook at facebook.com slash arcade attack uk please check out our website at arcadeattack.co.uk for lots of retro gaming goodness interviews reviews features top 10 etc and you can also find all our previous podcasts there Our podcasts are available to stream from the website and are available to download for free from Stitcher, Podbean and iTunes, where you can also leave us a review and a rating, which we would really, really appreciate. So until next time, take care and we'll speak to you soon.